Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Monday, November 25th. We are into Thanksgiving week. We've got another episode tonight. We've got lots to cover. I've got Robin on the phone with me. We've got uh, to touch point on what's been going on out in the woods. We've got some great responses to go over um, and had a couple great questions come through the email over the course of the last week. So being a Thanksgiving week, we've got some Thanksgiving focus here um, for this episode. Robin, thank you so much for carving out some time again. I know you have been still hitting it hard. Um, now back in Missouri, still during rifle season with your bow tag. How have things been going for you? Hey, Logan, how's it going? And uh, everybody out there, It's uh, it's been kind of weird lately. Uh, since we last talked about a week ago, I've had uh, some pretty good hunts, but I've been putting in a lot of hours just to get s- some good minutes of time in. And by what I mean by that is uh, we're still seeing pretty decent deer activity, but it's really sporadic and it's kind of at all hours of the day. It's almost like we could pick uh, any two-hour window of the day and have just as good a chance of seeing deer, including bucks, um, on their feet at any time of day. So it's been been kind of odd, but uh, you know, it's kind of also kind of nice to know when you're sitting most of the day that some deer could come walking by at any time. Yeah, it's that crazy part though, where like you had mentioned putting in a lot of hours for a couple minutes, the, any two hour block, but they could come at any point during that two hours. They're not always coming at the, the first part of it. I mean, you might catch them an hour into that block one at one day, and then you might catch them five minutes in or right at the end of it. Um, so I definitely feel you on the lots of hours, but you mentioned you've been seeing a lot of good deer, anything that you are in particular either holding out for or waiting on um, kind of what are your goals at this point knowing that we're starting to get later into the rut but kind of some of the suburban places that you hunt seem to be heating up more at this point yeah they they are we um we've had a few really good hunts where as an example uh we saw one really really nice buck probably a 160 inch buck that was locked down pretty hard with a doe. And, um, after they went past us 60, 70 yards away, um, there was another four or five bucks followed up on that trail. And so that just kind of a little bit of a window uh, of visibility of what's going on in the life of a whitetail right now, you know, there's one doe right there that's ready to breed and, you know, that's a pretty big handful of bucks, um, to be, you know, trying to get in on that action. And we've kind of seen that scenario happen on cameras and in person, uh, quite a bit over the last five days. So, um, really right now, yes, what I, I'm not really holding off for any particular deer, but I do have a list of probably, uh, I'm just going to r- roughly say about eight bucks that we know of we've either seen and or have pictures of that I'd be glad to wrap my last tag around. Sure. So it's not necessarily being super picky and it might say, oh, I've got eight bucks. I don't need to be super picky for the people that don't realize. I mean, there are a lot of nice deer in this area. I mean, it's not one of those things where it might be 
the only buck. I mean, this place is known for lots of deer, so it's not um, crazy unheard of to say, you know, I've got eight different deer, but they're all still really, really nice deer. Um, so is that pretty much your plan? It's those eight deer for the rest of the year? Do you, will you change that up? Will you at any point in time, uh, maybe say, just fill that last tag on an antlerless deer? Well, I, I'll definitely end up, um, if I don't kill any more bucks, I've, I've shot two bucks so far. I'm going to want to shoot at least two does, uh, to kind of put my meat supply where I like it. And usually we'll do that starting about mid-December. Um, the first week of December has been really, really good for us in the suburbs of Missouri as far as red activity. In fact, we've had a few days um, in the first week of December that's been as good or better than the entire month of November in past years. So um, I've got, you know, a pretty big window of time where – I'm still hoping to fill that buck tag and, um, you know, I, I'm not going to shoot a little buck just to fill that tag, oh, but sure. there's definitely going to be some deer fall before the end of the year. You mentioned, I mean, obviously too, and both of your deer were big body. And I think this leads in well to kind of one of the questions that had come up around the Thanksgiving theme and cooking wild game. Um, I know you had posted even the other day, the older buck and you had cut it into steaks. I don't know if that was back straps or if that was out of one of the roasts, um, but you were grilling it up or you cooked it for breakfast and said it was absolutely delicious. I just cooked uh, tenderloins from my deer tonight. We cut them real thin, butterflied them up. Uh, you're not afraid to, like basically what you're saying is all the people complaining about you can't eat an older deer, but you're not overly picky. It's more about poundage because the way you're treating it, your older deer, even those bigger bucks that you're going after, there's not a lot. I don't want to say I, the gaminess, that that off-putting flavor. Uh, do you focus on that at all? Do you think there is any difference between, um, and maybe not any difference, but a difference between a younger deer and people who say, oh, that old buck isn't going to be any good. You might as well just grind it all up into burger and be done with it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't buy into that at all. I'm not sure how many deer I've killed, but it's a pretty big pile of them. And I've had exactly one deer out of that pile that was just ridiculously tough, no matter what I did with it. And, um, every deer that I kill when I process it, I, I indicate on the package which deer it was. For example, 2019-1, so that's the first year of the year, just in case something like that happens. But I I, I treat a deer, whether it's uh, a fawn from this year or a year-and-a-half-old doe or a five- or six-year-old buck, the same when it comes to meat care and preparation and actually utilization or eating. And you're right. Those steaks that I posted the other day, those were fantastic. And of course, many of the listeners may not have seen the picture of the buck. It didn't have a really big rack. It had a nice rack, but the body was ridiculous. It was for sure an old deer. And we think probably in terms of antler potential on its way down, I'm sure this deer had a bigger rack in past years. That's how old we think it was. But 
still the meat's fantastic. So no, I, I don't worry about that. And, and every deer that I butcher gets packaged the same way and used the same way. And I mean, your pictures, like you said, it was amazing. You had a nice sear on the outside. It looked like you had a um, a perfect mid-rare, maybe just slightly on the rare side of mid-rare in the center of it. And I think that goes a long way, too, to those people that are saying old deer aren't any good. I think a lot of people, even with young deer, they just cook it wrong. Um, I, I'm a firm believer. Somebody was actually just um, saying within the hotshot group um, earlier today or yesterday about cooking something to medium or medium well. And I was cringing like, oh man, for me, deer pretty much once it gets past medium rare, medium is really, really pushing it. Um, but I think a lot of it too just comes down to cooking it correctly for the type of cut, not necessarily the age of the deer, but knowing how thick it is. Um, and that leads into obviously you're eating a ton of deer meat. If you are, you've got two big bodied deer down already, you're looking for at least um, one more big one, two smaller or two uh, mature does to help fill that in. So you're eating a lot of wild game. Do you ever eat wild game for Thanksgiving or we can maybe even open it up to around Thanksgiving? And um, the question that came in is, what is your favorite wild game recipe? Hmm. Well, my favorite one is the one that you just mentioned that I posted a couple days ago, the pictures of, and that is a backstrap cut into steaks about an inch thick, um, salt and pepper, kosher salt, coarse pepper, and plenty of both on both sides. And then uh, a pan with butter, as hot as you can get the pan without burning the butter. One minute on each, on each side and then 30 seconds on each side. And I'm talking about with a timer. Take it off, let it sit for two to three minutes, and then it's ready. And that is really my my favorite. Um, we are going to – I do eat wild game on Thanksgiving. And my kids like to do things different than the typical Thanksgiving turkey. And that's because we start – they start at my house for Thanksgiving brunch and my kids are grown. So they have other, you know, um, extended family to go see. And that's where they get their traditional stuff. So we do different things. And I think this year we're going to, I'm going to take a section of backstrap and um, I'm going to put a rub on it, let it sit overnight. And then I'm going to deep fry that whole just like you would like a deep fried prime rib roast. Mm. And um, I've done it before and it's fantastic. The outside is almost burnt, but the inside's still rare and it is just delicious. So how long do you cook something like that for? I, I want to say that it was about seven or eight minutes the last time I did it, but I have a thermometer in it to make sure that I don't go too long. Um, my first experiment went, I, I didn't use a thermometer while it was cooking and I did overcook one. So the next couple that I did, I put a thermometer in and that way I don't know what the time is going to be, but I'm watching the temperature. And as soon as it hits 115, I get it off of there and it'll come up to about 140 just resting. So you mentioned two things that I don't want to just skip over in this conversation because 
spot on with both of them. And the first one was when you were talking about the steaks, cooking them to a timer. I can't overstate how valuable that is. I don't think there is anything macho in uh, you know sitting back and be like, okay, I well, I just know that um, I'll I'll look at it or I'll give it the old touch and, and I'll be able to nail this. I cook almost all of my meat to a timer once I have my cooking source down, whether it's my pellet grill, a po- propane grill, charcoal. Um, if I'm cooking it in the oven or on a stovetop, doesn't really matter. Once I have my temperatures and everything down and I know that cooking source, I'm running off of a timer. The other thing that I think so many people could benefit by is go out and buy. It does not have to be a really expensive one. The really expensive ones are nice, but I think I got like a $12 or $15 uh, digital meat probe thermometer instant read type deal from one of the local chain sporting goods stores. I don't even really remember what it was. I just know it was cheap, uh, and I use that as well I because there is nothing to me, uh, we were working up Jack's work. When we say working up, we were butchering or processing Jack's deer this past weekend. And it was really warm out or warmer than we would have liked it. And I was kind of concerned that we might potentially have lost some meat if I didn't get the residual heat pulled out of the muscle groups when I first quartered it up. And the whole time I just had this kind of sinking feeling. There's nothing more disappointing to me than wasting any sort of game meat. Uh, just the fact that one here, I killed this thing Two, I killed it for the purpose of being able to eat it. And now I might be wasting it. And then you get through all that and you go cook it and you overcook it. It is so disappointing to overcook a piece of wild game, especially something like deer. Almost any wild game has to be cooked very carefully to the temperature, but Having that thermometer as also a game changer to be able to see how quickly your temps are rising. I mean, there's been so many times I've been cooking something and think, oh, you know, based on time, I should be okay, but I still have that probe thermometer and pop it in there. It's like, oh, we are close. I've got to shut it down now. And I probably would have let it go another four or five minutes on high heat and it would have been scorched. So, definitely go back. I'm going to point that back out again. If you are trying to do your own Thanksgiving wild game cooking, or you're just trying to figure it out for the first time, or maybe you want to get better at it wherever you happen to be, find a decent timer. I just use the one on my cell phone, actually. I will set it. I know about how many minutes and seconds, um, but go buy any level of instant read meat probe thermometer. It's going to up your game almost instantly. I think the only other thing that changed my cooking game as much as the meat probe thermometer was actually the pellet grill. So I digress. Uh, Your thing, your backstrap, fried backstrap, anything that you, any sides or anything that you like to serve with that? Um, Well, because we're doing a brunch, we're going to have a bunch of different other things to go with it that aren't really sides. I mean, we're going to have we're going to have like an egg casserole. We're going to, both my kids absolutely love this thing that I do with uh, venison, which is to chunk it up into like one inch size squares and double bread it and deep fry those. And then we will roll those in like a buffalo sauce. So it's Ooh, pretty similar to boneless wings. That sounds good. And yeah. They're phenomenal. Again, though, you got to, 
fry them really quick with really hot oil temps so that the inside is still you know medium rare at most so that's the trick to those but they're fantastic as well so we're really just going to have this big buffet of all kinds of different things you had mentioned hot oil frying it quickly so what do you consider because tonight like i said we did one of the tenderloins for my deer when i'm frying something um, or even when I grill, if I'm serving it, I like to slice my wild game really thin, but I did, um, thin cutlets and I was frying at 350 and felt like I was kind of a little bit on the low end. Where do you generally like to fry? Cause I think I'm closer to a 375 or even a 400 guy. So I get that quick flash fry without overcooking the middle. Yeah. When I do those chunks, I'm usually right about 400. And what kind of oil do you use if somebody's going out? Is it just regular like canola, vegetable oil, whatever you can get at the grocery store? Do you use peanut oil or anything special? I like peanut oil the best just because it handles those high temps better. But um, canola oil is probably my second choice for that. That's good. I generally like my go-to lately has been... uh, a uh, I don't know why it just absolutely totally slipped my brain, but... uh, a liquid shortening. I have actually had really good luck keeping a clean fry. I've been able to reuse it um, several times. And I don't know, I think I got like a three gallon jug of this thing. So I'm not going to run out anytime soon. Uh, a lot of people, again, you got to make sure that you get the oil that can handle a higher fry temperature. If you're getting oils, um, I definitely don't recommend doing anything with olive oil usually because it's going to burn way before you're hot enough to get the right kind of sear. Uh, but those peanut oils, um, what is it, uh, cottonwood seed or different things like that, almost any of your, your bigger oils, but a vegetable oil would work as well. You just might not be able to reuse it quite as many times. Yeah, I, I, I use that quite a bit because that just what happens to be what I normally would have, you know, for other cooking. And you're right, you could get it hot, but you're pretty much going to have to throw it away after you use it once. Now, are you doing a pan fry? Do you do a deep fry? How are you actually frying them up? So for those chunks, it'll be like a a deep fry, just like, you know, frying fish and in a basket and completely deep fried. So it's dunk the basket. And as soon as those things are crispy and brown, pull them out. And man, they're so good. I don't fry a lot of deer meat, but that is one way that I, I do it and it's just, it's just delicious. Yeah. I'm like I said, I I'm there with you. Um, especially on the flash fry. It, I had mentioned that I like things. I thin slice seems to be the way to go. If I had to give anybody one game tip for wild meat, it would be slice it thin. Um, it's just so many tough cuts of meat. I think people are cutting it too thick, even, um, turkey breast. I think people can cut it into too thick of a chunk and, It starts to get tough really quick, or if it starts to cool down after you've heated it. Uh, But just thinking about the fried foods and and the chunking it up, like we did heart the other day, and we cut it into similar size chunks, knowing that it was going to be a bit tougher. And I don't know if you like heart or not, but it was amazing. It tasted like deer chicken gizzards. Um, like a really, really clean chicken gizzard, but tasted like the most awesome deer flavor that you can get. Um, so I don't, don't throw your hearts out if you're out there getting deer. But from my perspective, I would have to think 
Thanksgiving Day meal, if I was going to make something right now, I really like to take the um, the deer loin or the back strap. And when I process them, I cut them into thirds and I like to take that center cut third and I will trim all the silver skin, all the fat off of it, get just a really nice red clean piece of meat. Don't rinse it. Don't soak. Well, don't not necessarily. You can rinse it. Don't soak it. Don't pull all the blood out of it. Um, but take that and then take like a sweet and smoky. You can even get there's I don't know the brand of it, but there's a sweet and smoky from some major national brand kind of seasoning and liberally coat that. So I will get this thing out of the fridge, get it all cleaned up, whatever I need to kind of let it dry off a little bit, pat it dry. And then I coat it very liberally with this sweet and smoky rub or whatever your favorite rub is. I've done my own rub before. It's still just as good, but whatever your favorite rub is, sprinkle that back strap all over with that. Don't be shy with it. It's Thanksgiving. Go all out. So I will take that, roll it all around, get all over it. Then I come back through, and this is where people probably think I'm crazy, but it's really awesome. I will do a dusting of coffee grounds over the top of it. So just kind of, oh, I don't go real heavy. I don't want to coat it. I don't want to make it totally black with coffee grounds, but I'll do a, a real heavy dusting of my coffee grounds all over Then I will take that, and if you can find jowl meat or jowl bacon, it's from the pork jowls, the cheeks. If you um, haven't found it, you can pretty much find it anywhere. It's not just a country thing. If you're having trouble finding it, go to the uh, butcher in your grocery store and ask them about it. If they don't have it readily available, I'm sure they can slice some. But where you can find jowl bacon, you take the jowl, and it's just, I love it. It's a little fattier. I don't know. There's something about the jowl bacon versus just regular belly bacon. If that's all you can find, get the thick cut stuff. Don't mess around with a thin cut. That is nonsense. But you will <laughs> lay out as much bacon as you need to fully. So I'll run my bacon strips or my jowl bacon, whatever it is. I'll run it vertically. If I'm like standing at the counter, I'll run it going directly away from me. And then I will put the um, the backstrap chunk, which again, usually it's anywhere from eight to 10 inches long, depending on how big the deer was. So I'll set that right in there and I've got enough bacon or enough pork to fully cover the the length of the backstrap. And I'll start to roll that. So you kind of, you flip it up at first or you put it far enough back on the bacon that you can flip the bacon over it. And then you just roll it around. I don't even worry about toothpicks or anything. I will just roll it around and I'll try to get the the seam to where it's going to be on top of the back strap. Then I go back through with more of my rub. So I'll sprinkle the bacon with some rub. Take that out. Um, I mentioned a pellet grill being a total game changer. I love my pellet grill. Um, It is amazing. I can go out and flip a switch. It gets up to whatever temperature I pick. I can put whatever kind of wood pellets in there for whatever flavor, but I'll go out and I will set it to smoke. And I don't like to do things too hot. I'm pretty, other than my steaks, I like my steaks cooked really high and fast, get the good sear on the outside, and then a nice mid-rare at the very middle. So outside of that, I'm low and slow. Set it for 200, 225 if I'm going for a particular temperature, and I will let it run out there for 45 minutes or so before I even go back out and check, and I might roll it if I need to. 
Usually, though, after about, I would say, an hour, hour and a half, that's where I'm going to pull this off. And I'm a food geek, so I'm going to get really, really detailed on people. I love making really, really good food. If anybody follows my Instagram, um, it's been a while because I've been really focused on hunting lately, but I'm usually posting pictures of something that I've smoked. So sorry if I'm going on and on, but um, I'm a fat kid and I love this stuff. So I'll put it on the smoker at about 220, 225 for... I usually plan on about an hour. From there, I will pull it off the grates and I'll get one of those little cheap disposable aluminum foil pans and I'll set it down in there and I'll crank the heat up a little bit more. I'll usually probably go about 300 or so on this, maybe 350 even, and get enough heat that that jowl really starts to cook down inside that pan. And I will use that to just baste that back strap with and keep it nice and moist I will do that at that point. That's where I'm starting to check with my thermometer. And once it gets to about 128, 130, that's where I'm pulling it off. And I'm going to let it rest and come up to temperature. Since it is a really big hunk of meat, and I'm saying like 130 in the dead center, that's where I'm trying to go. I'm not around the outside edge. I'm putting that thing. If my backstrap is two inches thick, I'm trying to go one inch down in, get right dead in the center of it. But once I've got that to about 128 or so, even about 125, I'll hit the shutoff cycle on my smoker and let it kind of burn the pellets out, just keeping an eye on the temperature. At 130, it's absolutely coming off. Let that thing rest. It's going to come up to maybe 135 or so. So you're going to have a nice more on the rare side of mid-rare center. You're going to have a little bit more done on the outside edges like my in-laws. Now, I don't know that my mother-in-law would really eat deer loin that I cook for. Um, but she likes her meat a little bit more well done. So it's a perfect cut on a family day like that, where you have people who do enjoy things a little bit more done. Maybe it's the visual of um, that really pink or uh, nearly raw looking meat in the very center that bothers them. Great cut for that. But you slice that thing up. I will, again, I slice it thin. I will maybe do three sixteenths to quarter inch thick slices on a bias. So again, I'm coming at an angle from the top. I'm not just cutting straight down like bread slices, but kind of down and across at the same time. And I'm doing quarter inch or so slices of that. Chop up that jowl meat, mix that all together. You've got the good rub seasoning, that coffee in there gives it a nice just a little bit of an earthy flavor and you serve that with some roasted brussels sprouts with some butter on them and man that is i would i think that is my favorite thanksgiving wild game recipe because you know that deer was just taken within the last handful of weeks um, like that tenderloin that we were doing tonight that had never been frozen so i mean just an amazing cut of meat you're getting the most delicious pork parts of the pig to cook this thing on. You got the smoke flavor. I mean, it's just awesome. So if you've got some extra backstrap and you're looking to do something, I think that's two really delicious recipes. And now I, in fact, I'm at the point where if I get another deer, we're going to get together and we're both going to do our recipe and then just sit down <laughs> there and eat all of it together. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to make both of those on our sausage making day. Man, that would be amazing. It's like I could just stand there and eat that forever and, and then talk about a delicious sandwich the next day served cold on just some like white sandwich bread with a little bit of mayo. Oh my goodness, it is freaking amazing. 
It's so good that I didn't even cuss there. And you know me, I would have normally just cussed <laughs> yeah. right there. So I guess, you know, it is Thanksgiving and maybe we could go ahead and mention turkey a little bit, you know, because I have killed a turkey or two in my time. Yeah, one um, or two. Uh, wild turkey, um, I, I I do have a freezer full of wild turkey usually. And uh, like I said, the reason my Thanksgiving isn't centered around some wild Turkey is because my kids are going to eat Turkey everywhere else they go. So they request deer, but the biggest tip for wild Turkey is what you've already said, which is not to overcook it. And, um, wild Turkey does not need to be cooked past 150. If you can keep it 150, um, you're going to be way more happy with the results than, you know, taking the temperature up to say a 180, like a lot of oh, people will do with a domestic turkey. So it, dry. I already it, don't like white meat. And when people do that again, it, just, it makes me cry on the inside and the outside. Yeah. And honestly, uh, even if I'm doing a domestic turkey, it's coming off at 150 and resting up to about 150 or 158 max. So, um, another hint for, for, especially for like a turkey breast, if you're going to fry it, you already mentioned, don't cut it too thick. That's right. Cut it thin. And a little trick that I've learned that has really helped for like fried turkey nuggets or, or breast strips is to cut it thin and go ahead and beat it with a meat mallet. And then bread it and fry it, and it makes a world of difference in how on the result and how that those uh, turkey tenders will come out. They're just fantastic that way. Yeah, it's way more almost like a schnitzel type thing when you yeah. do it that way. Yeah. I, to, turkey to me just gets so tough when you cut it too thick. Again, usually chunks, unless they're super hot right out of the fryer, it just tastes like you're eating one of those rubber bouncy balls uh, after a while. I, th I mean, for me with turkey, with any turkey and almost any game, I think can benefit from this. You are doing yourself a disservice if you do not brine your bird. I don't care if it's legs and thighs. I don't care if it's a breast. I don't care if um, like the one that I got earlier this year during my spring bird. Um, if you pluck the whole thing and have skin on, you need to be brining your birds. It is too easy for the gain that you get you don't really have to measure things out it doesn't hurt to do it but i just go heavy on the salt i'll get one of those big five pound looking canister things of salt and i'll just start dumping it in a big pot with some water i heat it up i'll throw in whatever seasonings whether it's rubs or whatever i plan on trying to get the bird to taste like and i'll heat that up stir it up really good get it cooled back down. You don't want to put the bird into any sort of hot brine, but maybe even mix that stuff up and go get a gallon of water or something. Just get an old, take save a milk jug and wash that out. Put the brine back in the jug and set it aside for later. But if you got a breast, I mean, you can fit a breast easily in a one gallon zip top bag, throw your brine in there, give it a day if you can, at least give it overnight. I think you're going to see a world of difference regardless of how you decide to cook your bird. I am also a big proponent of 
bring it up to that temperature slowly if you're roasting it or doing anything like that. But 150-ish, you're, you're pretty good. But you're going to be so much happier if you brine that bird. It's going to be so much more juicy, so much more flavorful. You're not going to have to just absolutely slather it in bacon. And I'm not opposed to doing that. And I wouldn't tell you not to on top of brining it. But that would be my tip, especially on a wild bird. If you're planning on doing any sort of roast, it doesn't have the fat content like a domestic bird is going to. So don't overcook it. Again, you'll be really disappointed. There's nothing worse than putting, well, there's probably worse things, but really sucks to put in all that work, finally get a bird or an animal we're sharing with your family, and then you don't cook it right. So brine it and watch your temperature religiously. If you are doing something low and slow, maybe even getting one of those probe thermometers. I know um, you've got a couple of those or you have at least one with your pellet grill. Do you use that pretty regularly or are you more using the instant? Anything that I put in the smoker, I'll have a probe thermometer that's uh, got Bluetooth so I can read it on my phone while I'm inside. And um, I'm really big on times like you are once I've figured out what works and keeping track of those times. But something in the smoker when i have that thermometer it's it's always going to be in there just so it's a double check on it for me and i i you know we've we've mentioned it three or four times but i honestly just to circle all the way back around on the older deer and and does it really matter and what people think and people that talk about not liking venison um, because it's gamey and tough and all that, it all comes down to not overcooking it. And that it doesn't matter if it's wild hog, wild turkey, deer, the key is not overcooking. Yeah. So test it out. If you do have concerns, maybe grab a small piece, it, especially a backstrap, because again, you're going to be really bummed if you have gone through all this work and you take one of the primest of the prime cuts and end up overcooking it so play around with it test out your temperatures keep an eye on the time even tonight when i threw my first load of tenderloin cutlets into the fryer i had my phone sitting right there ready to go so i could tap the screen see what the time was and know about how long it was going to take to do the next batch so um you know watch it as religiously as you can because you're spot i mean i don't care what it is if it is overcooked you know read up on it google is a wonderful thing i still get questions from people that all i do to give them the answer is google it and um, occasionally i feel like these people think i'm amazing for this but look into it we've given you some pretty good ranges um in our opinion at least deer is a lot like beef it's not going to taste like beef don't pretend that it's going to taste like beef you're not going to fool anybody unless you have some really wild grass-fed beef that you're eating. Uh, but same kind of temperatures. I think 130 for rare, 135 for mid-rare. In that case, uh, 135 is usually where I try to serve it at. Even Jack really likes it at that 135 temperature. Turkeys maybe go up to um, 150 on the breast. One thing we didn't get into a lot of duck or anything like that, but there's a lot of information out there. Again, if you've got something, just Google what you're going to do. You can certainly shoot us an email. We're more than happy to reply back. 
Um, again, podcast at hotshotmanufacturing.com if you do have questions because we do kill and eat other game as well. So again, if you're trying to do something special, maybe we can at least share with you how we've screwed it up so that you cannot do it that way at the most. But um, don't hesitate to pull out some of those great cuts and give it a whirl. Just make sure you can do it in a place and a time that you're focused. Wild game isn't the kind of thing you want to walk away from and forget. So really pay attention to what you're doing when you're working with that. Um, And Robin, we've talked a lot about Thanksgiving. And one of the questions that uh, came through was, during this time, what are you guys most thankful for? And I think we all, I mean, even the listeners probably have a lot to be thankful for. This podcast definitely not trying to be included in one of them, but we appreciate you all listening. It's freaking awesome, the support that it's gotten. But um, this time of year, as you have time to pause, and I know you'd mentioned before you take Thanksgiving off, that's one of the days that you just don't hunt. What are you feeling most thankful for this week? Well, uh, you know, really at the top of the list is my family and, you know, my kids and their significant others. And, um, I'm fortunate my mom and dad are both still here with, you know, with us and, um, you know, family is an easy thing to uh, take for granted. And, you know, I've had some some times in my life that have refocused me and and you know really pinpointed that you, that's just something you shouldn't do and so that's at the top of my list and you know i i'm super thankful for the job that i've had for 28 and a half years now that comes with the flexibility that gives me all this time off to be able to hunt and you know people that listen of course have heard you give me shit about how much I get to hunt. And, um, I mean, you know, it hasn't always been that way, but when you've worked as long as I have at a job and earned that vacation time, which I understand not everyone's job comes with that. Um, but mine does. And, you know, I, I, of course am thankful for that. And, um, you know, I've had some changes in my life in the last year and, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention my girlfriend, Sandy. Um, she's a fantastic addition in my life, and I'm certainly thankful that she's part of it now. All right. Well, that probably just saved your bacon when she gets a chance to listen. So, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. What else are you thankful for? Uh, well, I'm thankful for you, including me in this podcast most times. Um, and on a serious note, you know, of course I'm, I, you know, I'm sure I'm going to say some things that everyone says, but I think people that say it really believe it. And I mean, our military, this country, our freedoms that come with it. Um, those things are, you know, um, the same things that everyone says, but I mean, let's face it. We do live in the greatest country in the world. Yeah, that there aren't too many people that are trying to get too many other places. That's that's for sure. There's a lot of options to go, and it, it's hard to deny that. So, I mean, some amazing things. Anything else? Uh, Sorry, this is know. the professional side of me. What, what about out. you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the same things. I could get obviously very superficial and just talk about hunting and things like that, but. 
an amazing family. Um, obviously, I've got a wife that doesn't get near as much credit as she should for putting up with me and dealing with the uh, the whole thing. Obviously, one of the hashtags I use a lot on social media is it's always season. And that's kind of one of the things that has just become um, one of our understandings. And to have somebody who I will say uh, definitely doesn't always appreciate it and certainly hasn't always understood it has come to see how much it means to me how important it is that I have the extra time to give to things. I mean, like this, I am tonight tucked back in uh, my little working space office. It's a hard place not to be happy with. I'm surrounded by um, deer taxidermy and waterfowl artworks and drinking a beer. But uh, again, great family, uh, obviously, even extending out to my sister, my parents, who have uh, been so gracious with what they've been blessed with to share with us. The property that both Jack and I took our bucks on this year is something that my parents were able to acquire in one of their dreams that they got. So, I mean, tons of stuff on, and probably like you said, what everybody says, but I truly am thankful for the life that I've got. Even the job that I have um, hasn't always been the case where I have really, truly loved what I do from you know eight to five or whatever it is on that full-time side of things. And to be able to even have a leader where when I do have gripes, it's just so easy to see that they're first world gripes and uh, put things back into perspective. Just so many thoughtful people, so many people who have said great things, completely unsolicited about doing this podcast. I'm really thankful for that. I don't go out looking for credit. I hear that you know maybe sometimes I'm more humble than I should be, that um, should feel a little bit better. So it's been great to hear people say so many positive things and share such great feedback with what we're doing here. I think we've done a great job of not um, having this be a hotshot commercial and just talking about our lives. We've had lots of people. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to save that for last. And I was going to say those exact words that, uh, you know, we definitely should mention that this is a hotshot archery podcast and um, hotshot archery is behind it. But we've made a point. Uh, with the help of Dave, the owner, to not make this a commercial, but um, yeah, I really owe a big gratitude of thanks to Dave, the owner, for including me as part of that company since the beginning, and to work part time for a manufacturer, you know, an archery product manufacturer like that um, is, you know, some would say a dream come true. Now I'm not going to say it's a dream come true, but it's, it's just an awesome part of my life. And it opens a lot of doors has put me in contact with a lot of people that's become lifelong friends and, um, you know, really a, a tremendous company and tremendous people behind the company. Definitely. And I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I wouldn't think that I definitely wouldn't say that either of us have, made it. But for those people who might be thinking, you know, I'd love to do something. It was always kind of a dream of mine to be able to do something in the outdoor industry to maybe give back is more than 
just a consumer. So to be able to have this, I mean, it definitely hasn't been easy. I've had to sacrifice, and I know you have definitely had to sacrifice a lot to make that happen, but it's easy to do when we have the support of Dave. I mean, he's been all for really everything that we have wanted to do, whether it's with the podcast or just being a great backer of us as well. So amazing company to be associated with. Check them out if you are looking for a release. You'd be kind of crazy if you're listening to us and won't at least give us a shot if you are looking at something. So hotshotmfg.com if you want to go check it out online. Uh, You can follow us on social media as always. Anything, it's pretty much at Hotshot Archery. If you search Hotshot Archery, you will certainly find us. We are really thankful for all the positive feedback that you all have given us and that you continue to download these episodes and listen in on a regular basis. If you're digging this and you're thankful for a little bit of additional insight or maybe realizing that there are other people out there just like you, even if we might happen to also help support and work for and with a great company in the outdoor industry. So tell a buddy, tell a friend, tell a coworker about us. Have them check it out. Again, we just really appreciate that. So I would wrap it up by saying on top of just all the superficial things about being extremely thankful that you know I didn't have to and I didn't feel bad this weekend that we were out in the woods and I didn't even take a gun with me when I still had a tag because my son got such a great deer and I already have one. So thankful for lots of things. But um, I think as we wrap it up, I will just say again, I continue to be thankful for you all just giving us a shot and continuing to give us some of your time every week. And hopefully even this week, you found something helpful out of what we had to say. So Robin, I'm actually going to leave this one up to you. You got any parting words of wisdom before we head our separate ways and celebrate Thanksgiving with our families? Well, I don't know about wisdom, but I'm going to be hard at it for the next uh, week or two weeks out in the deer woods other than Thanksgiving. So, uh, Hopefully, fingers are crossed that uh, one of the next few shows we'll be talking about another nice buck. And uh, good luck to everybody that is still out there chasing them themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck, guys. We've got more awesome episodes heading your way as well. We've got a really good discussion planned for later in this week with one of our friends from over at Magnus Broadheads and talking about uh, getting his family, his daughters into hunting and getting some of their perspective as well. So got some cool stuff coming up. And then Robin, absolutely, if you get one down, one, if you need a hand, let me know. I did bring back some of my stuff, not all of my stuff. So I'm still not in full-on hunting mode, but if you need a hand with anything, and if you get one down that we need to talk about, let me know. I've always got the recording equipment ready to go, and we'll make sure that we've got another great episode with some good deer stories. Well, yeah, guess what, Logan? What's that? Spring turkey season's only four months away. (laughs) Not like you're counting though, right? (laughs) All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for another great week. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. And unless you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, then I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and maybe you have other great Thanksgivings in the future, but we'll stay in touch. We'll be back with more information, more stories, and just more random thoughts from what it's like to be us in the next coming weeks. So, See everybody. Have a great rest of your holiday weekend.